Our scripture this morning is uh, from the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. It's found on page 807 in your pew Bible. Before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, the word that you have given us. Uh, We thank you for uh, this opportunity to um, read and hear the explanation of your word. Pray that you would bless God as he expounds your word to us, calm our hearts and our minds that we may receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's holy inspired word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Noshan, and Noshan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. The word of God for the people of God. All right, those of y'all who are in rotation to read scripture and you were thanking God that your name didn't show up for this week, uh, you can also thank Clifton for taking one for the team. <laughs> well, we are, um, we're, we're going to start a series working through Matthew. Um, In January, we're actually going to pause that and uh, look at the nature of God, Um, but we're going to be working through um, um, the Gospel of Matthew and appropriate for us to look at uh, the stories around his birth and the events around there um, at this time of year. So, um, And we begin with a genealogy, which is um, 
usually not in uh, your, your kind of devotional um, positive messages for uh, the day, not something we tend to go to for, uh, for comfort or direction. Matter of fact, when we, we read and we hit this long list of names, uh, if you're like me, the eyes just started kind of skimming through and maybe you recognize a few and you just keep moving because we don't know a lot of Shealtiels and Eliakims and, and what they did. And yet, Matthew begins by putting Jesus um, in the context by showing us um, his lineage, his lineage, um, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, and the first thing that Matthew is wanting us to get with this, it's actually going to be a theme throughout Matthew, is Jesus is the fulfillment of these covenant promises, right? So uh, a few things I want to point us to this. Uh, the first is the book of genealogy. Um, the actual word there uh, is, uh, it can be translated genealogy, but it also means begettings, origins, um, genesis. So if you open it up, it says the book of Genesis, um, and this phrase is actually used in Genesis, you know there's um, several genealogies that kind of break up the narrative of Genesis, and it'll say the, the, the book of um, gen- Genesis of um, a certain person and list the family. So we're, we're thrown to uh, the, the book of Revelation, the God's um, message to Moses and to all of us as a reminder that this is connected to all of this book that has come before it. This is a thing Matthew is going to develop in, part of, in, in the structure of his book. Uh, there's five sermons or discourses throughout Matthew. That's one of the ways he organizes it. If you have a red-letter Bible and you flip through Matthew, there's going to be five sections where a whole bunch of red letters are clumped together. The most famous is the Sermon on the Mount, but there's five of them. Um, as kind of a way of saying the five books of Moses. This is the new Moses. This is the new covenant that is established in that old covenant and fulfills those old covenant promises. Um, throughout Matthew, especially around the birth narratives, we'll, we'll, get little story, we'll get stories and a little phrase that'll say, this happened in order to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet so-and-so. In other words, he's, he's explicitly saying this is fulfilling Scripture. This was fulfilling what has been prophesied. And here we're told that it is the the book of genealogy of of Jesus. Christ, by the way, meaning Messiah, the anointed one. Um, A a concept in the Old Testament of the coming prophet or priest or king who would um, reestablish things. And it is the fulfillment of the covenant with David and with Abraham. He is the son of David. Um, David is the king that God entered into a covenant with and said, you're going to have someone on your throne forever. I'm going to make you a dynasty. I'm going to make you a house. And actually, the psalm this morning that we, um, we praised God with is a praising of this covenant um, throne, of this, this continual dynasty of the messianic king who is the son of David. And so Jesus is the son of David, the son of the the promises made um, to have a king on the line of David. But he's also the son of Abraham. 
another heir, uh, another recipient of a covenant that was to be made, the covenant that is made with Abraham that God would make him a great nation. And through him, he would bless all of the nations. And so Abraham is uh, the one who has promised this, this great covenant that is passed on to Isaac and to Jacob and to the sons of Israel. And, and it continued on and on. And so by highlighting these names, he's telling us Jesus is the great king in the line of David, and he is the fulfillment of Abraham, the one who is going to bless all of the nations. For Matthew is going to be one who reminds us that God blesses the nations and that he sends us on a mission to all people and to the nations. And then we get this list of names that um, we're told is 14 from um, Abraham to David, which is just a, a, a hinge point in the history of Israel, right? The, the, the Davidic throne, the dynasty of David, is one of those just um, huge moments in the history of Israel. And the next big history, historic moment is the exile, is the, the people fall away from God, and he punishes them by sending them into Babylon, into exile, to be sent to a foreign nation. Babylon is another massive moment in the history um, of Israel as the temple is destroyed, as Jew, uh, Jerusalem falls. And, and, and so he's, he's showing us these, these signposts, these hinge points in the history. And then what he's doing is saying it's not only to Abraham and to David and to Babylon, but now to Jesus, the Messiah. What he wants us to know is our Savior's birth is one of those moments in the history of God's working with his people that is just um, um, a, 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 a shift in what is happening. And he points out there's 14 generations. Now, he does some creative math to make that happen. Some names that we know of are dropped, and, and the last one doesn't quite make 14. And there's different ideas of, of how to deal with that. Um, but the point he wants to make is this number 14. And there's, again, lots of different ideas, but I think, I think the, the main, I, I think the, the most satisfying answer is um, what the number means according to names. All right, so they didn't have a different system of numbers. Um, they used letters to represent numbers. So A would be 1, B would be 2, C would be 3, right? And if you, if you do that, the, the name David adds up to 14. So most people think that he's just kind of reinforcing this number um, of, of the name of David and unpacking it. So the main thing he's wanting to show us is Christ is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham, this promise to David, this old covenant. So that means for us... We can't rip out this latter part of the Bible and just say we're just going with the New Testament. To even understand every word in the New Testament, we have to understand the context of the Old Testament. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. And, and to not understand the context of that and the expectations of that, we, we miss out. We're going to import our own ideas of things if we don't understand what God's covenant promise was to Abraham is. The, the way we are Christians is to read the whole book 
But we do so, just as we, we were showing the kids with the symbols here, is that everything in this is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the subject of the Old Testament as well as the New. And, and to understand him fully, we have to understand the past. And in understanding the, 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 the way we understand the Old Testament is by looking towards Jesus, the fulfillment of it. So... We get the main point, but that still leaves with us with Eliodes and Achims and Zadoks that we don't know nothing about, which is why I just want to just, we tend to skim over this because we don't think of the names. And yet, that's one of the things that kind of stands out to me. Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, we know nothing about them. But look at the role that they played in the coming of the Messiah. They were absolutely crucial. These people that we would have no other way of knowing about them in some small village in a, the, a small province of a Roman Empire, that we would know nothing about them, and yet look how significant their life was to God's plan of redemption. Jesus' salvation for all of us in human terms, depending on Jacob teaching Joseph how to be a righteous man. And when Joseph was confronted with the issues with Mary and how he dealt with her appropriately and righteously, all of that was, in, was formed by the way he grew up, by the way he was raised. And that was formed by the way Mathan or Mathan or however you pronounce that name um, shaped and, and had his life. In other words, I think there's a temptation for us to look at the big things through Scripture and, and get that and understand that these are, these are really important people and to forget the fact that God's covenant played out and his, his plan of redemption played out by ordinary people day by day, making decisions to trust and to follow and to obey. And those little decisions add up so that God brings about the Messiah. And what I want us to see is it's very easy for us to, to forget that our life matters as part of God's plan. I think one of the things about us celebrating God's sovereignty and recognizing God does do whatever he plans to do, and God is sovereign, and we can't overthrow that plan, is sometimes we forget we have a part to play. Everything you do matters. And God's plan of redemption that brought about the Messiah is the same plan that works out that redemption in the lives of the people who come to trust in this Messiah so that what you do on a Tuesday afternoon is part of God's plan of redeeming the world, of bringing about salvation. As you share the gospel with others, as you advance this story of redemption in your own life, as you're working out sanctification, as you're fighting sin, everything you do matters and has significance and importance. That means when you wake up on a Sunday morning, and you're confronted with the decision to go to church or to do something else, it matters. You're either taking a, a, a step closer to his kingdom or further away. That means as you're strolling through Instagram 
and a seductive girl barely dressed, if you're going to stop your decision to stop and see where that follows or to keep going matters for eternity. That matters when, when, when you're confronted with a lie, an accusation about something, your decision where to stir that up and pass it on to someone else or to pause and ask questions about the other side of the story has all the difference in the world about God's plan of redemption. You're, you're, you're taking of an insult and whether to, to stir that up and get angry or to forgive matters. Every day you're confronted with little bitty decisions, little small choices of what to teach your children, of how to respond to temptation, of, of, of what to do with things that are going to stir up your anger, of dealing with everything we face in life. And it all matters. It all is part of God's working out His plan of salvation. And so just as we look at these people whose names we don't recognize, we recognize their life was absolutely critical for what God's doing. And as we look at ourselves and think, you know, two generations from now, how many people are going to remember us? Probably not many. But what you do tomorrow counts for eternity. And there are some names we know more about what they did. So we, we, we see this, this great plan of redemption that starts in the Old Testament that works its way to us and to the future until Christ's return. But one of the things is this is a weird genealogy. For one thing, most uh, people in the ancient world didn't include women. Um, the New Testament was a um, shift of mind set towards views of women. Most um, um, genealogies, had they been fabricated, would not include some of the shameful things of the past. But Matthew is unflinching in looking at some things. Let me, let me show you here. Um, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Uh, you might remember the story there where Tamar was um, actually Judah's daughter-in-law. And her husband, Judah's son, had died, and Judah would have been obligated to give a son, but he wasn't doing that. So she disguised herself as a prostitute and had children by Judah that way. As I said, not one of those things you would want to highlight on Ancestry.com if you found it. Then there is uh, Rahab, another foreigner who was in Jericho, and you remember the story of her um, welcoming the spies in. There is Ruth. She was a Moabitess, and if you want some really interesting reading, go look up the history of the Moabites, but the point being she wasn't Jewish. She and, and Rahab both would have been Gentiles, outsiders. He talks about David, the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. He's going out of his way to remind us of David's fall and sin. David isn't a pure hero that we're called to emulate. His trust in Christ points us to the goodness of Christ, not David's own goodness. And more through there, we hear of the, the children of David who are not all good kings, who rebel against him and go towards pagan idol worship. In other words, 
Jesus' family is a lot like ours. Sinners and scoundrels and outsiders and people on the margins. But he's not ashamed to make this his family. Uh, I I occasionally get into genealogy. I kind of do some research, and it's always interesting. I think I usually go until I find something that's embarrassing, and then I just say, yeah, let's not look about that anymore. David, you can keep your Alabama jokes to yourself. So, you know, we, we, we get in. I mean, Robin has some cool ancestors in, his, in her past. Daniel Boone is one of her ancestors. Elijah Craig, if you recognize that name, that's one of her ancestors. One of my ancestors I was kind of proud to find out was uh, one of the personal physicians to Queen Victoria. This is which was really cool until I saw a documentary that the prime suspect to be Jack the Ripper was Queen Elizabeth's personal physician. <laughs> Not the kind of folks you, you, you know, are proud of. And I think all of us, I mean, we have families that just, that's what it is to be human, to have those. And yet Jesus welcomes David and Rahab. That's his family. That's part of God's plan of redemption is using sinful people. I mean, what what does this tell us about any view of ethnic purity or racial superiority? Jesus' family brings in Gentiles. It brings in outsiders. It's not saying these are pure Jewish people. There's no place for us to have any kind of condescending view towards anybody. And one of the things that means is, If you think you have to get your act together before Jesus welcomes you into his family, if you think you have to do all the good stuff and clean yourself up before you're presentable to this Jesus, look at his family. He still welcomes sinners and outsiders and scoundrels. There's no sense that we have to cleanse ourselves before we come in. And more than that, we as the church can never have the attitude of someone not meeting Jesus' standards. We welcome everyone. We welcome all people, and we say, come into this family of David, uh, Uriah killers, Abraham the liar, Tamar, and welcome into this family who is also the family that is being redeemed and blessing all of the nations of the world. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Would you please stand and let us uh, state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.